Well, it's good to be here with y'all. I was uh, I was studying for this uh, lesson, and uh, I came across an article. It was an article of uh, people's last words that they spoke, and uh, some of them were kind of funny. Uh, for instance, General John Sedgwick was a Union general in the Civil War, and he supposedly said, they couldn't hit an elephant from this distance right before being shot in the head by a Confederate sniper. There was a man by the name of James Donald French who was a convicted murderer whose last words right before going to the electric chair, he looked at the press that was standing there and said, how's this for your headline? French fries. Groucho Marx apparently quipped right before passing away from pneumonia, die? Why, that's the last thing I'll do. So that got me thinking, what would I want my last words to be? <laughs> and I decided I want my last words when I die. I want my last words to be, I've hidden $5 million in the... More importantly, I want to live a life where people will actually believe that I had $5 billion to hide. Because if I tried that now, they'd just roll their eyes and be like, that goofball's never seen $5 million in his life. I probably should have finished Bible school. They probably would have taught me not to start off a sermon with something as morbid as somebody's dying words. You're probably supposed to be encouraging and uplifting, but... It seemed like a good segue today because we're talking about a passage of scripture that's Joshua's final words to the children of Israel. Now, obviously, Joshua is a little bit different from me. I'm just a normal guy. I know I use the term normal kind of loosely. I just try to make people laugh every now and then, but Joshua was a leader of a great nation. He had fought multiple battles. He had been a spy. He had sat under the leadership of Moses. You would expect his last words to be something important, something that would have some meaning to him. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 1, it says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and they presented themselves before God. For Joshua's final words, he chose a significant place. It was a place that was important to the children of Israel. He called them together at Shechem. This was a place where God had appeared to Abraham and told him that he was going to make him the father of a great nation. Abraham built an altar at this location. Years later, Jacob would also build an altar at this location. He dug a well there as well. This was a significant place for the Israelites. And for many of us, we also have places like this in our lives as well. Places that maybe we can go where God has done significant things for us. Maybe it's the place where you got the Holy Ghost. Maybe you can say, you know, maybe there's a specific church that's special to you because 
that's the church where your family first got into church. Maybe you can say, it was, I was standing at this point in the altar when I got a special touch from God. You can't live for very long without, uh, for God without him doing something that leaves an impression on your life. There's a, there's a song, I think it was uh, Andre Crouch that wrote it, says, take me back, take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. And there are times in our life where we do need to go back to those places and remember what God has done for us and remember where God has brought us from. Joshua brings them to this very significant place and then he begins to tell them about their history. In Joshua 24, verse 2, it says, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Now, when I had started reading about this, I was a little bit confused because it talks about their fathers that dwelt on the other side of the flood. And I was, I was thinking, the first thing I thought of was Noah's flood. But then I thought, well, I couldn't be talking about Noah's flood because Terah and Abraham came after Noah's flood. So I looked it up and I found out that that word is translated as a river or a stream. So it's interesting to me that Joshua takes the people all the way back to when God brought Abraham out of Ur. This river that he's referring to is the Euphrates River, which is kind of north and east of Israel. Then he talks to them about how Jacob and his sons went down into Egypt and God sent Moses and had to deliver them and bring them out of Egypt. Now, this is a little bit more recent history for the Israelites. They had just recently come through the wilderness and into the promised land. So they knew about Egypt. They knew about all the battles that they had to fight in the wilderness. That, that would have been the point where if I, if I was given a speech, I, I would think I would have started with, Egypt, where, you know, this was a more recent events, this was stuff that they knew about. But he also went all the way back to Abraham long before their time to remind them of the promises that God had given to Abraham as well. Then, after all this, he reminds them of how God brought them into the promised land. In verse number 13, uh, it says, And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye build not, and ye dwell in them. Of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted, which ye planted not, do ye eat. So Joshua reminds them not only how God uh, has delivered them, but also how he's blessed them and provided for them. So he's talked to them about their heritage. He's reminded them of what God has done for them in the past. And now he's talking about the present. 
This is the current life that they are living. He's reminding them of the blessings of God that they're currently enjoying. And it's important that not only do we look back at the past and remember what God has done for us then, but it's also important to look at the blessings around us and appreciate what God is doing for us today. You know, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the, the proverbial rat race and start comparing our lives to others. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses, as it were. And we can find ourselves looking around and saying, well, you know, if I had a bigger house or if I had a nicer car or if, if I, you know, had a better job like them, and we can forget to look at what God has blessed us with, and we can forget to be uh, thankful for his blessings. Or maybe we do like the Israelites did in the wilderness when they started looking back at their past and they said things were better back in Egypt and they didn't appreciate the blessings that God was currently giving to them. They were going through the wilderness. They were protected by a pillar of fire and a cloud and uh, God was giving them quail and uh, manna and they didn't appreciate that. They said things were better back in Egypt. He was meeting their needs and protecting them, but they were too focused on the way things used to be that they failed to appreciate what God was doing in their lives at the present. So there has to be a balance. We should have an appreciation for our past, and we should be able to look back at our past and remember what God has done. But we can't forget to also be thankful for what he is currently doing today. So Joshua is setting a stage for a very important message to the Israelites. He's talked to them about their past. He's talked to them about their present situation. And now he's about to issue a call to action for their future. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15, it says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or of the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Israelites were positioned at a major crossroads of the world. And Joshua is pointing out to them that they're surrounded by people who serve other gods. He goes all the way back to when Abraham came down from the north and he says, the people in the north served other gods. Then he goes down to Egypt where they had just been delivered from and he says, they served other gods. And not only that, but even in their own land were people who served other gods. Prior to this, the Israelites had pretty much acted as a group. As you look through the story, they came out of Egypt together. 
They worshipped the golden calf in the desert together. When they murmured against Moses, they murmured together. They wandered in the wilderness together. And you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to do things when everyone else around you is doing them. I was, I was listening to a thing back when uh, all the riots were going on and when they were burning down the cities and the, the person I was listening to was saying, you know, most of these people would never do this kind of stuff on their own. But he was saying, this is mob mentality. In other words, when everyone else is doing something, it's easier to blend in with the group than it is to stand out and be different. And you know, sometimes it's that way in the church as well. When everyone else has their hands raised up in worship, it's, it's a lot easier at that time to stand up and worship. And when everyone else is gathered together in prayer, well, then it's easier for me to come and pray because I know everybody else is going to be there. But Joshua is saying to them, they're going to have to make an individual decision. And he says to them, you're going to have to choose for yourself who you're going to serve. Even if nobody else decides to serve God, they have to decide for themselves that they are going to serve God. And they're going to have to take physical action and put away the gods that the other nations served. Have you ever noticed that anything worth doing, anything that's, that's good for you, anything that's healthy, it kind of goes against our natural desires. I was listening to a, a financial program online the other day, and the guy made a statement. He says, you can wander your way into debt, but you can't wander your way out. If, you know, we just did whatever we wanted and just bought everything our hearts desired and didn't worry about what the consequences were, it wouldn't take long before we would be in a huge amount of debt. But it takes some work and some self-discipline to set a budget, to control your impulses, to try and stay out of debt. And it's also the same way if you want to lose weight. If you look online, there's a whole bunch of different programs that'll help you lose weight. I, I had, for some reason, I get these pop-up ads, you know, on these, these games you play on your, your phone. And I got one that said uh, you could lose 30 pounds in 30 days just by taking a pill. And then it wasn't too long, I got another ad shortly after that. And it said, you take this pill, and it said, you could lose 30 pounds in two weeks. And I thought, I got to thinking, that's an awful lot of weight to lose in just a, a couple of weeks. But you know, if you look at any of the programs that have really been successful, all of them have something in common. You know, they, they may be a little bit different in one way or the other, but all of them that have been successful involve cutting something out of your diet. You know, you, you've either got to cut sugar out of your diet or you got to cut carbs out of your diet or you also, you know, some of them say you can eat whatever you want, but you just have to limit the portion sizes of things that you're eating. 
And they all have some element. You have to go out and you have to get some exercise. I had, I had a friend growing up. That he was just skinny as a rail. And it would drive me nuts because I'm a pretty big guy. And we would, we would have a youth night at the church. And, uh, you know, the normal kids would be like, yeah, I'll have a couple slices of pizza. And uh, being the big guy I am, I'd say, well, I'll probably eat four or five slices of pizza. And then I had my skinny little friend who would say, I'll eat a whole large pizza by myself. And people would look at him and say, you can't eat a whole pizza. But he would eat a whole pizza by himself. And the aggravating thing is he would never gain a pound. You looked at him and you wouldn't think he would be able to. We had an eating contest the one time. And it just embarrassed me because I was twice as big as he was. I should have been able to out-eat him. But he beat me. And then to make it worse, he would say, boy, I wish I could get bigger. I hate, I hate being so skinny. And, and my mom used to tell me, she'd say, you, you better stop eating like that. That's going to catch up to you one of these days. And uh, when I turned 30, somebody shut off my metabolism and forgot to tell me about it. But my friend is still skinny as a rail. Now, I just I look at a piece of cake and I gain weight. But for the rest of us, you know, those of us that are normal, unlike my friend, if you want to lose weight, if you want to get out of debt, if you want to develop a skill, and if you want to live for God, it's something you're going to have to work at because it goes against your natural desires. I read a story on this lesson. It was a story about Mike Tyson. And it started out with this quote. The, quote the, the article started off, it says, I never took the fight seriously. Now, that, that kind of gets your attention because, you know, Mike Tyson was a fighter. That's what he did. For him to come out and say, I never took the fight seriously, kind of made me wonder what, what happened that he didn't take this fight seriously. The article goes on to say those somber words of former heavyweight champ boxing champion Iron Mike Tyson came several weeks after arguably the greatest upset in the history of professional boxing. Around 30,000 fans crammed into the Tokyo Dome. The bell clanged and two hulking men began to pummel each other. The crowd anticipated Tyson to fight to a resounding defeat of a relatively unknown boxer named James Buster Douglas. As the rounds added up, the crowd and critics realized that something was wrong. And in the 10th round, a relatively unknown Buster Douglas defeated a battered and staggering Iron Mike by knockout after he knocked Mike Tyson to the canvas for the first time in Tyson's storied career. The boxing world was stunned, but the defeated heavyweight champion realized it was his own fault. He says, I was out of shape, more or less, he said in a New York Times article in March 1990. And then he goes on to explain that he let himself get out of shape, get too heavy before the fight. And then when it came a month before the fight, 
he said he had to lose 25 pounds to get back into fighting shape. He said he fell into sloppy habits. He said Douglas beat an out-of-shape guy who didn't prepare properly. And you know, it's the, the same thing for us as well. And it's also the same thing for the children of Israel. We live in a world where we're surrounded by people who act and think differently than we do. They prioritize different things than we do. And if we just sit back and don't make a conscious effort to live for God, we'll find ourselves getting spiritually weak. But if we're willing to put in the work, we also get to reap the many benefits of a life lived for Christ. Anything that is good or healthy for us requires some kind of work. It requires commitment. It requires self-discipline. It requires a little extra time and effort. But in the end, you find that the benefits outweigh all the work and effort that you had to put in to get there. So I want to close with this thought tonight. I want to remind you of your past. I want you to look back over your lives and remember the blessings that God has given to you. All the victories that God has given to you. Maybe you say, but you don't understand. My, my past is painful and the memories are unpleasant. I don't want to look back at my past. Well, that is your testimony. Because God loved you too much to leave you there. Don't focus on the pain and the hurt, but remember how God came looking for you and brought you out of the life that you were living. Remember how God brought you out of the muck and the mire and set your feet on the solid rock. Then I want you to take a look at your life today. If we tried, you know, we could probably, probably wouldn't even have to try that hard, but we could probably all find something to complain about, something that has gone wrong, something that we wish was different. But instead of focusing on those things, I want to encourage you to look at how God is currently blessing you, the things that he's currently doing in your life. Maybe you aren't quite where you want to be, but at least you aren't where you used to be. And then I would encourage you to put away anything that would keep you from being all that God wants you to be. Put aside anything that would keep you from serving God and make up your mind that you are going to be like Joshua and you're going to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Pastor? Thank you, Brother Matthew. So very true, and it is incumbent on all of us in this hour to <clears throat> keep making course corrections. I know I mentioned to some that were here Tuesday night, <clears throat> this week brought some amazing uh, articles that... <clears throat> I've found just so lining up with the word of the Lord. For instance, Israel <laughs> sent in 
drone attacks to Iran. <clears throat> Russia threatened the United States and Israel uh, if they continue those attacks. <clears throat> of course, Russia has already declared a bounty on <clears throat> German and U.S. tanks, and one of our generals on Monday said in two years we'll be <clears throat> probably at war with China. And when you read the book of Revelation and you read the Bible and China and Russia marching down to Israel and these things, and you are, you're looking at, and somebody Ted said today that a, a green asteroid is going by the earth tomorrow, the closest it's ever been. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, people recognize that I think here we are, these stories in the Bible, these stories in the history book of Joshua and Judges and how they went through these things. You know, we look at them just as Bible stories. But let me tell you, the Bible is true. It was written. It was true. It is as you study it out and you realize those things, as Paul said in the New Testament, are examples for us to live our lives by and to set a course for our lives. And I'm glad we can do that, aren't you? Hallelujah. Let's stand. And we're glad that all of you are here, thankful for the Word, thankful for the Spirit of the Lord that we felt. We have a lot to thank the Lord for, Amen. Brother yes. uh, Roger uh, Lane. Uh, what a great report. I know many of you have been praying for him. And uh, let me tell you, you, you can say, well, it's just good medicine. When the doctors say, look, we can't guarantee it, but 13 years, it's 20 we don't understand how you're not going to need dialysis, but we're going to, we just don't think right now, and we're going to act as if it's all good and just see what happens. That's a miracle, folks. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Let's thank.